You know he needs you. You know he's making an impossible choice. He just doesn't want to live in pain. Life is pain. I wake up every morning, I'm in pain. I go to work in pain. You know how many times I wanted to just give up? How many times I've thought about ending it? It's been a minute, dude. I don't even know what to say right now. Holy fuck. I know, um, I know a lot of you have been, been like messaging me, asking me if I was dead or if I'm still alive or whatnot. I mean, so many people were like, are you okay? Because the first thought is, you know, I disappear off the face of the planet. I haven't posted anything on social media. I haven't done this. I haven't done that. And everyone's first instinct is like, oh my god, Unk relapsed. He overdosed. And now he's dead. And he's just another stati- statistic on, on some fucking website blog out there. Or god knows what else. But uh, yeah, I'm here. I'm back, um, and let's just get into it, you know, I'm, I'm recording live, not exactly live, but I'm recording from the fucking hospital, you know, I'm staring out my window, half naked in my gown, looking at, um, these fuckers who work here, eat their fucking food and stare at me, very strangely, a bunch of Karens up in this bitch, you know, um, I'm try. I figured out how to open my window, and if someone could smuggle me in a vape, but they'd be ha- they'd have to <laughs> they'd have to hop a fence, jump over this moat, <laughs> guarding my fucking room, and and who knows what they would what kind of trouble they get. And I haven't vaped for like two months. I'm going fucking crazy. Vape pe- people who vape have rights too. You know. Anyone who smokes a cigarette is allowed to go out and smoke a cigarette no matter if they're in the hospital, right? So why do I not have the right to get my vape? I'm fucking gonna I'm gonna kill somebody. I swear to god. I mean, what the what what is worse, people? Murder in whatever degree or you know, a little little bit of uh, vaporized nicotine in my lungs. I don't know. You tell me. You know, write us right in. <laughs> so, mm, yeah, 
you might have heard earlier, I'm in the hospital, and, um, you know, if, at least for a couple weeks in the, my last episode or my last recording, I told a lot of you that I need to, need to, uh, I needed a break from podcasting in general. I, I had to take a break. I was getting burnt out on it. And there was just so many reasons, you know, like, like I just didn't know what to talk about. Like talk, talking about heroin once a week for an hour and editing it and fucking, you know, booking guests and doing all the sound engineering and, and sound editing and everything was just like, f- was like, fuck dude. Like I can't do this all on my own. Well, I can, but. I get burnt out, man. Like, what do you want me to do? It's fucking intense. And just to talk about, I got hooked on heroin, blah, 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 and this and that. Oh, and by the way, this is the exact same hospital that I went to when I overdosed and crashed my car. You probably heard that story already. But I crashed my car and fractured my ribs and got all fucked up. And was taken here to recuperate for a week. Um, back then, I didn't know anything about Santa Barbara or, or Cottage Hospital or anything thereof. And um, they have that on file. So <laughs> that's good, I guess, you know. Um, but now I have a whole new outlook on, on that. But yeah, you know, at first I took the two-week break and I desperately needed it. And I was at the point where I was like, well, should I just fucking scrap this project and work on something new? You know, I was working, I started working on music and I fell in love with that. And that was great. Um, and then the, there was this whole thing that happened around that month, or that era, might I add. It was like this whole, this whole cancel culture, exposed video debacle where a handful of people were just thrown under the spotlight for a multitude of different reasons. And, um, you know, some of them were valid and some of them, you know, after a month or so, or after a week, even it came to light that those accusations were completely falsified and it was slanderous. And, um, and I, didn't think that that any of that was applicable to me. You know, I have a debaucher's past, but I, I, unlike a lot of people, I don't sweep it under the rug. I don't hide from it. You know, I expose myself, if anything, and I tell the most awful things I've done. I tell them myself. I just say how it is. I did all these horrible things. And, uh, and if you if you hate me because of it, then then that's fine, and if you don't, or if you forgive me or you accept me for it, then all it's all the better. Hold on one sec, you guys. I need to, ah, need some 7-Up. This is going to be kind of a, uh, a really rough around the edges episode of Nod Squad. You know, just getting this mic in here and my laptop was just such a pain in itself. Which we'll get into, but um, I kind of wanted to save this episode for, um, 
I just wanted to get into where where have I been and what happened to me <laughs> these many many weeks, you know. Um, oh my god! Sometimes I stare at my window and I see just just straight up fucking Karens left and right, and you you know what a Karen is, but it's like just. <laughs> You know, you, you should feel safe in your work environment, but if you're a Karen, then I, I, I don't have a solution for you. I'm sorry. And then some of them will stare at me like I'm the problem. And it's like, it's like, ease up, Karen. You know, I have a cell phone. I pretend to fucking film them and they get triggered so fucking bad. It's like, eat your goddamn yogurt and move on with your day. You know, get away from me. Or stare at me more, and I will fucking troll the shit out of you. <laughs> I swear to God, people, but... Anyway, I don't, I don't fucking know, so... Uh, let's see here. Um, basically, I'm going to make this two-part two part episode, and I'm going to go through the whole fucking story, and... If you're out there listening, or if you even know that this podcast is back, and you're listening, you know, why don't you, why don't you guys be such a great supporting, just be a great, of great support, and uh, shoot me a message, shoot me an email, social media, whatnot, you know, anything. Um, I'm going to make an announcement that I, I will have an episode back up and, you know, for after this two part series, I honestly don't know where the future, what the future of this thing is. I'm basically looking at a major surgery right now. I've almost died several fucking several, several times and we'll get into all of that. But I wanted to get this out just to basically uh, keep you all updated on what's going on in my life. So, yeah, first couple of weeks, I was just working and kind of going to school where I went whenever I could and living on my own. You know, COVID was super serious, so all the meetings are shut down. You can't go to any outside meetings. And it was fucking serious. So basically I just worked and went home, worked and went home. And I was getting burnt out on that at the same time. And, um, you know, going from there. And, uh, as you all know, or if you may not know, I was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis, ulcerative colitis, um, while I was in rehab last year. Um, you know, basically, for anyone that doesn't know, ulcerative colitis is when, you know, your your immune system, it detects a foreign object in your digestive tract that could be a virus. They think it's a virus or they, your white blood cells think it's um, something that shouldn't be there. So what happens is your immune system attacks it even though there's nothing there to be <laughs> that's of any harm 
your white blood cells go and attack your auto, your autoimmune defense system or whatever. It, it kicks up into full gear and it, it attacks your dig digestive tract. And basically, you know, it causes certain parts of your digestive system to become super inflamed. And there's a series of major side effects that result in a very inflamed digestive system. Um, one of them would be, you know, you have insane, excruciatingly painful stomach cramps um, and, you know, loose bowel movements, diarrhea. But the main thing is um, blood in your your stool. <laughs> so for lack of a better terminology, I'm shitting blood all the time. Like all the time. And if you listen to earlier episodes, you know, I talk about my colonoscopy and how horrible that was. You know, I had to fast for like two days and then I had to, <laughs> it was a li clear liquid diet. And that made me such an asshole. I could only drink or eat like chicken broth and popsicles <laughs> and shit like that for, for two days. And then on the end of the second day, I had to have a, I don't know what the fuck it is, a, a bowel test kit or whatever. Which basically means, you know, you drink the shit and it, well, for, first of all, it tastes God fucking awful. It tastes like the worst tasting thing you would ever put in your mouth ever. There are so many other things <laughs> that I would rather put in my mouth than this, but it tastes fucking so bad. It tastes so bad. And, um, <laughs> and it, it, this, this, this clear liquid, it basically makes you have to take a shit like immediately, not immediately after drinking it, but you know, when that feeling comes, it's like, Oh, I have to shit right now. Or, you know, I'm going to shit my pants basically. <laughs> and that's what happened. And, um, <laughs> you know, I just spent, you know, lots of the rest of my time until the colonoscopy in, um, <laughs> close, close to a bathroom because I ran to it and I shit and, um, God, I just kept like pissing out of my ass. You know, if you walked by and heard me, you'd be like, unk. Sounds like you're taking a piss. Very violent one. But no, it was violent piss out of my ass. And it was clear liquid coming out of my ass. A lot of it. And that is just to, um, they call it a prep kit or whatever, because it preps you for the colonoscopy, you know. They want as much shit removed from your colon as possible. And, you know, the first step is just getting as much of the shit out of your colon as possible. As, as you can, and that's what the fasting is for. And then the final kit and caboodle is this drink, which any little residuals, <laughs> it, it takes care of. 
and uh, you shit it, you shit it out, and it's a little bit brown at first, and then every shit afterwards is a little clearer until there's absolutely nothing in your colon, not on the sides, nowhere. It is as clean as a fucking whistle. You could eat dinner off of my colon. That is how clean it was. And so I went in and got my colonoscopy and um, I wasn't expecting much until I got there and I realized that they were going to put fucking fentanyl and uh, benzodiazepine in my IV. And I was just like, oh, fuck. And I had a whole talk about what is considered clean and blah, blah, blah. Do I have to change my clean date and blah, you know? And then you don't. It's stupid. For anyone listening who, who got clean, you know, if you go to the hospital and they put you on pain pills, it's for a good reason. Oh, and by the way, <laughs> not at the end of this episode because the story is so fucking long, but the, at, at the end of the second episode... I'm going, just because it's a, it's a topic with itself, I'm going to reveal what you have to do to get pain meds in the hospital. The entire protocol. What is your, what's your mindset have to be? What, you know, what is your excuse? And, you know, how to maintain that? Because that's a whole art form in itself. And most people would just say, fuck this, I'm calling my dealer, I'm going to buy some heroin. But there is an t- entire science against, or to- towards getting prescribed and getting access to pain medication. Um, I know a lot of people don't agree with that, but hey, it's a good topic, you know. And we'll get into that at the end of the, se- the second episode, but... Yeah, um, they put fentanyl and a benzo in my um, in my IV, which I felt a little bit. You know, they shoved the camera up my ass, and um, I I felt it, but I, it didn't hurt. And it was just like I was kind of like in a cloudy dream state, and I was just like, oh yeah, there's a I feel a camera, something moving in my ass, and I could I was staring at the screen, and I could watch see the screen. And I was watching them travel up my intestine and, and whatnot. And um, they were taking something called a biopsy, which is like a little, just like a little pincher claw that tears flesh off of your fucking insides. And they take that for a sample later to, to test on. And I saw them tearing flesh off of my, my fucking digestive system. And... Um, yeah, and I was bleeding, and, uh, you know, I felt nothing. And then I walked out there, and everyone thought, oh, Brian's going to be super loopy from the fucking drugs. And it's like, no, excuse me, have you heard my podcast? Have you heard my stories? Uh, I walked in there. I walked in the waiting room just being like, all right, let's leave. And they're like, wow, like, I thought I was going to try and make fun of you for being so out of it. And I was like, dude, I have done a lot of fucking drugs in my day. This is not going to phase me whatsoever. Plus, I think they've kind of perfected the the science behind um, administering um, what fentanyl. So, if anything, they kind of give too little of it than too much, which is scary in itself because then you're you're fucking sitting there and you're like, uh, this hurts. Hook me up or. 
What's even scarier is they give you just enough to where you can't talk or move, but too just little enough to where you feel everything. So you're kind of like paralyzed and debilitated and you feel all the pain and you're just like, Ugh! yeah, fuck that noise. I fucking dumbass nurses. Anyway, that's a, that's for another podcast, but I got or I had the colonoscopy and I, you know, they sent me all the paperwork and the pictures of my ass and I was like, oh, cool. And I got to show it to everybody and that was fun. And, um, I had to immediately show that to my, to to, to the staff at, um, rehab. And they were like, at first, um, Dylan, he's been on the podcast. He was kind of freaked out and I was like, yeah, you know, I had this colonoscopy and, uh, it shows that they gave me fentanyl on this benzo, whatever the fuck it's called. Some weird benzo, li- liquid benzo you put in IV. And they're like, oh, he's like, oh, does so-and-so know about this? Does so you know about this? I'm like, yeah, he signed off on it, dude. Like, this has been in preparation months in advance. Like, what do you want me to do, dude? Like, I've been bleeding out of my ass for God knows how long. And it's like, yeah. You know, and back then I didn't have any other symptoms of pain or anything. I was just blood was coming out of my ass. And I was like, this is not normal. This is much more serious than a hemorrhoid. (laughs) This is so not normal. It's not even funny. And so basically what I had to deal with is um, they had prescribed me a, uh, I don't know, it was like a, was some kind of medication to give me while I was in what's called remission. And remission is what is, um, it's like being in remission for cancer, you know, like, you know, um, you don't have a flare up, but you still have the, the, the disease, you know, it's like, I may not have a tumor, but I'm still known to have cancer. So basically they prescribed me what is called something like um, balsalicide disodium. And I had to take nine of those capsules a day, three times a day. So every after every meal, before or after every meal, three capsules every day, three, three times a day. So it would be nine capsules a day. It's a lot of fucking pills to be taking a day. But I was like, okay, I'll take it because I don't want to deal with this shit. And for the most part... After taking that, my, you know, the blood in my stool kind of let up. And the days I didn't or had forgotten to take it, I would get bloody stool. But I didn't have severe, severe pain and symptoms. Now, with um, colitis, you can have what is known as a flare-up. And there's a whole science or whatever behind proper diets and this and that And basically, there's certain foods that will trigger a flare-up and and thereof. And, um, you know, you can't have any nuts. You can't have any raw vegetables. um, You can't... There's certain foods that are just known to make you feel real bad. And sometimes, these things can trigger a flare-up. And a flare-up is when, you know, it's when you're... immune system really attacks your digestive system hard and 
you have massive, massive inflammation. And it, it gets really bad. And your symptoms are very painful and they're brutal. So in January, around the time I um, was in fourth phase, I was moved into a fourth phase room. Um, I didn't really talk about this at the time, but, you know, I think it's reached statute of limitations, but Henry from, I think, episode 25 or whatnot, he was my roommate. You know, phase four rooms are cool because, you know, before in, in the earlier rooms, you have four to six beds and there's a bunch of these rooms and four to six beds means you have three to five roommates and that is kind of pain in the ass. You know, you sleep with these people and if they bug you, they fucking bug you. You know, they, if they're not clean, they bug you. If they fart all, all over, then they bug you. But, and you kind of have to put up with that. And it teaches like, um, what is it? Teaches like love and tolerance and patience. And, you know, you work out your, your, your issues with these people and you learn how to get along. You know, you're forced to, you know. It's like, that's, that's your option. So, when you are, and those, for the, those are for the first three phases, and that's about nine months. Now, when you get into fourth phase, you get a job, and you're not home as much, and you don't do programming. You're basically living there, like a sober living. You get tested once a week, and you get moved into a phase four room. Now, a phase four room is just you and one other person. It's a much smaller room, but it's only two people and you know there's good and bad things about that um what's good about it is you don't have a shit ton oh my god my phone is blowing up silent so what's good about that is basically you only have one other roommate you know one other person whose issues that may bug you or may not Usually, by the time people are in phase four, they've worked out their issues and are respect respectable to the point where it's like, you can just have a simple conversation with them and they're fine for the most part. Now, what's bad about that is, you know, you're in a smaller space stuck with that person. So if they get on your nerves, they really get on your nerves. It's not like you have two other people in the room who you could be like, yeah, I really fucking hate that guy. Yeah, me too, blah, 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 you know? <laughs> so my fourth phase roommate was Henry. Now, I didn't talk about this back in the day because I didn't want to get Henry in trouble. But it's happened, and we kind of have to deal with it. Now, Henry is kind of a sleazebag. <laughs> He's a sleazebag. Um kind of a creepy, creepy dude, you know, his, I mean, I thought I had a problem with women, but Henry, he lives in, I don't know, you call it a delusion of grandeur, he thinks he's God's gift to women, and he's like, oh yeah, man, I talked to this chick, and she was so into me, and blah, 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 and <laughs> like one time, <laughs> Oh my God! One time we were at um, uh, it was a, every Saturday we have 
there's a beach NA meeting. And it's basically an NA meeting that's on, on a beach. And we sit next to the beach and have a meeting. Now, every other meeting, every other day is his a stag meeting. It's all guys. This was the only meeting once a week that was a co-ed meeting, which means guys and girls are allowed. And it's the only NA meeting anyway. Most every other meeting we had every other day was an AA meeting, Alcoholics Anonymous. This was Narcotics Anonymous. So some some chicks would show up. And, you know, some of them were hot and it was a great way to get a chick's number and have a little illegal, you know, love affair while you're at the mission. Definitely not frowned upon and definitely not allowed. You can get in a lot of trouble or get, get kicked out. But Henry over here, um, he, it was like 10 minutes before the meeting and he saw some hot chick at the beach and <laughs> she was setting up for like a yoga and she, uh, and she's like a yoga instructor and she had some kind of silent disco yoga where you wear headphones and you listen to, to disco and you do your yoga and she was the instructor and then it was like oh I'm gonna go talk to her man and we're like please don't you're creepy and chicks think you you're a fucking creep there's they think you're a creepy dude and so we just sat on the bench and vaped and watched this guy walk like, I don't know, 200 yards in the sand over to talk to this chick. And we're like, all right, let's see what this guy's doing. I don't, I don't, I don't even fucking know. <laughs> and so he's talking to this chick and trying to pick up on her. And he's literally got his, he, he leans back and he bends his knees and I shit you not. He takes his hands and puts them together and he starts rubbing them together like this. Like <laughs> he's got a major ulterior motive. And I was just like, you know, my, my buddy Tim was on the podcast. He had just come in. I'm like, look at this fucking guy rub his hands together in front of a chick while he's trying to pick her up. Like any chick who saw a guy do that while he's trying to hit her up and get a number is going to immediately be disgusted, scared <laughs> for their life. And, you know, <laughs> I mean, I'm not sexist, but their, their vagina is going to dry up like the fucking Sahara desert. You know, it is the exact opposite of a turn on. It's disgusting. And he walks back and I was like, yeah, Henry, I saw what you did there. And, um, just as your friend, I want to let you know for future reference that the last thing you should possibly do when talking to a girl and asking her out on a date or anything like that, the last fucking thing you want to do is bend your knees, lean back, and rub your hands together like this. Like, yeah, so what are you doing later? Oh, uh, it's like, what the delusional and every every chance he gets to talk to a woman he will and then he'll say like I don't know what you're talking about man everyone's like what are you doing like I saw 
I saw what's going on, and he's like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. I was just talking to him. I was just talking to him, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, dude, we know. We're not fucking dumb. (laughs) We know what you're up to. You don't have to lie. And so he eventually was put on a relationship contract. And I've probably talked about this before, but you, um, it's like a probationary period. You know, you cannot be caught going out with or fraternizing with women for the rest of your stay there until you hit fourth phase. Then you could fraternize and go out with women and whatnot. But if you get caught doing such, you and you're on a relationship contract, you get kicked the fuck out. I was put on a cell phone contract because I was madly addicted to my cell phone. So if I was caught going to the library or caught with a phone or anything, because I was caught with my cell phone, and then they had caught me being on someone else's phone after they got caught with the phone, I got put on a, um, a cell phone contract. So the last three, four weeks, I couldn't be on a cell phone, and fine, I respected that. Didn't have a phone, and then I got in fourth phase, and I could have a phone. Well, Henry was on a uh, a relationship contract, and um, you know we got moved into phase four rooms early because the there were empty rooms, and we you know we got moved in that they'd open up another bed for someone new to come in because there's a lot of people requesting to come in at the time, and um, yeah. So they re- they moved us into a phase four room so that they could let someone into uh, the open beds and we'd have, you know, we'd have more people in the house. So me and Henry got moved in and we're still in phase three. Henry's still on a relationship contract. I'm on a cell phone contract and blah, blah, blah. And we're waiting to get into phase four basically doing program but also looking for a job and this that and the other and so while this is going on there is a female volunteer who works at the homeless the shelter you know a volunteer is basically someone who stays at the homeless shelter and is homeless and takes up all the benefits of of living at the homeless shelter, you know, you have, you have somewhere to stay at night. So from, you know, I don't know, from like 6 PM till six in the morning, you have some, you have a room to sleep in, you have a shower to access and clean yourself. You have access to a industrial washer and dryer so you can clean your clothes. So you, you, you get in, you get in there and the, the homeless shelter, basically you, you shower and your clothes are cleaned, and you have dinner and breakfast, and then you're on your way, and you're you're basically, you're on the streets for the whole day, but then at night, you get to come in, and, you know, you have everything provided to you, it's like, what more could a homeless person ask for, other than a shower, a a hot meal, um, and their clothes cleaned, I mean, it's just like, that just sounds pretty damn good to me, if you're homeless, but um, if you are a volunteer, you help with facilitating um, m- the distribution of meals to the homeless, and you help with whatever needs done, whatever needs to be done around there during that time. 
and you get to stay there all day. You know, you have your room, your own room all day, and you have div- you have certain perks that are allocated to you that are not given to just any any homeless person. So this one lady, I forget her name. Fuck, I forget her name. But um, yeah, she was a volunteer and. She would just do basic stuff around the office of the homeless shelter and um, basically do whatever was asked of her to get. And she got lunch. Homeless people, they get breakfast and dinner and they don't get lunch, you know. But she, she got all the benefits. She got breakfast, free breakfast, free lunch, free dinner, could stay there um, and had a room all day. And that was that. Now, Henry gets into phase four. Henry starts talking to this homeless volunteer who is like 46. Henry is like 40. (laughs) Doesn't look it. I mean, fuck, he looks like, uh, I don't know. It looks like Johnny Bravo from Cartoon Network. You know, he's got all the, his slicked back hair and he looks as dapper as he can be. But, um, he's flirting with, um, (laughs) he's flirting with this homeless volunteer and, you know, they're dating and this and that. And he's like, well, I'm in phase four. I'm allowed to date and blah, blah, blah. And he literally almost got kicked out for dating or having sex in public places and this and that. And God knows what else, like, you know, it is fucking ridiculous. How he didn't get kicked out sooner was was astounding to me. But some di- he spends some time with this girl, this lady, <laughs> and they end up hooking up and dating pretty much. And so, um, so basically, Henry's dating this girl, and um, no one really gives a fuck that he's dating this girl, you know. Um, you're allowed to date in phase four. I started dating in phase four. I dated someone I had met on Bumble who had sent me a bunch of nudes and I found out later had a plethora of various sex toys and, oh God, that's a whole nother debacle in itself, but they didn't care. But the only difference is Henry is dating a homeless volunteer and that's, kind of a no-no, and, um, so I have the same room as Henry, I go in there, and, you know, he's, like, doing this stupid fucking humble brag thing, but being extraordinarily vague about it, like, oh, man, I had a really great time, blah, 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 and I'm like, well, why, you want to specify, and he's like, no, no, it's just, it was really great, and it's like, yeah, because you got your dick sucked, like, (laughs) God damn it. God. Ugh. I hate... Anyway, so... I'm like... I'm like, you need to stop seeing this girl, you know? It's not allowed if it's a homeless volunteer. You know, he's like, no, everything's G-double-O-D good, you know, G-double-O-double-D all good, you know? I can do what I want, you know? He thinks once he... That he thinks the because he made it to phase four, you know, he gets a free ride, a free pass to just do whatever the fuck he wants, and he can do he he's 
can get away with whatever he wants. So, um, basically, he sneaks out every night or every other night and goes and hangs out with this chick who's like 10 years older than him. And she's not that attractive. <laughs> and it's like, dude, haven't you learned anything? Like, you're fucking... <laughs> you're... Oh, my God. Like, date date someone, like, out of your league. Or get... You know, if, if there's a chick you like that's out of your league, like, get into that league and date her. Like, don't date someone under your standard of living. Like, just don't do it. And so, um, me and Zach and all, all my other friends are making fun of him and clowning on him. Like, you're dating a homeless chick. You're fucking stupid. You date the dis- most, dis- I don't know. I'm not trying to shame anybody, but it's just like, it's just like, come on, man. Like, you could date anybody, anybody you want. And this is what you choose. You date this girl. And so... I was like, you might as well just tell on yourself or do something. And he kind of does. He eventually tells um, one of the staff members, he goes, you know, me and -and so-and-so, this girl, have been hanging out a lot. And he's like, I didn't say what we were doing. I just said we were hanging out a lot. And it's like, they're not fucking dumb. They haven't been born yesterday. They know that... um, Hanging out means having sex and hooking up. So, basically, um, staff looks into it and they keep an eye on him and to the point that they kind of have a really good idea and they interrogate the fuck out of as many people as possible. They interrogate the fuck out of Zach and they say, what the fuck's going up with Henry? Is he hanging out with this homeless girl? Blah, blah, blah. And, um... And I don't know who said anything, but, you know, it's not my place to know or find out. You know, it's his fucking fault anyway. But he fucking, he gets called out and it's like, you cannot see this person. They call him down in the office. Uh, The board of directors, the, the head honcho or what have you, he calls Henry down and says, look, you know, I know you're in phase four and I know you're doing good and all that, but, um... Out of all the girls that you can date, you cannot date this one. You don't have a pass to date the homeless girl that works with us. You can date anyone else you want, but do not date this chick who is volunteering on the homeless side. Just, no, that's not cool. And so he's like, oh, okay. And so, um, you know, I see him in... (laughs) I see him in his room and he kind of tells me like, who, who the fuck told me that's fucking bullshit, you know, a bunch of snitches up in here and blah, blah, blah. And you know what? I do have a no snitching policy and I am very anti-snitching, but you have, you're in phase four, you have about three to four months left. You just work your job, do graduation and leave and you... You're done with the fucking program in rehab, you know? You know, you just don't put your dick in something that'll get you kicked out. And so, basically, every night he defies the rule. And every night he tells me about this and that and getting away with this. And, um, it's, it's just fucking stupid. 
And so, basically, this homeless chick knows this other girl who works full-time on the homeless side. She's a homeless volunteer, but it's her full it's a real job, full-time job for her to like, you know, work there and do this and do that and have other responsibilities. And I can't say this person's name, but she lets the homeless girl borrow the or gives her the keys to her car and lets her borrow her car. Um, unbeknownst to her, the homeless girl is basically, you know, taking the car out, picking up Henry, driving around, and sucking his dick in parking lots and other various public places, and and getting his dick sucked, and it's like, if I was loaning out my car to a, you know, there'd have to be a certain level of trust there, but at the same time, I would only be loaning my car out to really close, my dearest friends. And if they were picking up homeless people and letting them suck their dick or have sex in my car, I wouldn't be too cool with that, you know? But anyway, it's well known by this point, pretty much by everybody, all the patients, all of staff know that he's still fucking the homeless chick. And staff is trying hard, interrogating everybody, like asking him questions, asking people questions like, are you hooking up with the homeless? Is Henry hooking up with the homeless girl? Is he doing this? Is he doing that? They're trying to find one measly shred of evidence so they can catch him red handed in the act. And so basically there was... I, I was working, and um, Henry had taken a weekend pass to see his parents. And he was kind of fucking up, you know. One of the, Someone in an AA meeting or in the fellowship or whatever got him a job at like this place called Magic Castle as a handyman. And, you know, they were working with him, and he was always on his phone, always doing this, always doing that, always fucking up, you know. To the point where he's about to get fired, you know, this guy's just despises him and yells at him all the fucking time and is like, fuck, Henry, do your fucking job, get off your fucking phone. And everyone's telling him, you know, Henry, get your shit together, you need to get this job. And it's pretty much known at this point that he's going to lose his job. So staff helps him try to find another job, you know. <laughs> Um, there's a Verizon store that paid like $17 an hour plus commission and, um, they had arranged a, uh, a job interview with him and Henry was like, <laughs> he was supposed to go to this job interview and he flaked and he didn't show up. He, he was supposed to like get an inner or a resume put together and at the very, he waited till the very last minute and checked the the description and they said they wanted a job interview and so the last hour or so he's like fuck I need to get a job interview done mind you he doesn't know how to make a fucking resume he doesn't know the first thing about making a resume and he doesn't have a very big resume because he's a heroin addict he hasn't been working for like years and years and most of his jobs were under the table and stuff. So he tried to get, you know, one of our friends who was in phase four to, 
do a resume for him, but he couldn't do it in time. So he just kind of just flaked out and didn't show up to that interview. And staff is getting fed up with him and pissed off at him because they know he's going to get fired. You have to have a job in phase four. So it's at the point where they're done with Henry and they're waiting for any little piece of evidence to kick him out. And um, so everyone knows he's fucking the homeless girl. And uh, one of our other friends who was in phase four, who will remain nameless, he um, was going to see his girlfriend, who he was allowed to see because he's not part of the homeless volunteers. And he, um, he there's like an underpass, like a freeway underpass right around the corner. And, you know, he's walking through the underpass or sitting in his car, not his car, but sitting in his girlfriend's car at the underpass. And he sees the homeless volunteer chick pull up in this car, pick up Henry and, and roll off. And, you know, most people pretty much despise Henry and don't like him. He's like the most hated person in rehab. So they, um, he takes a picture and text text it to everybody and says, oh, look at this. <laughs> look at this. It's evidence that Henry's still seeing the homeless chick and fucking banging in a borrowed car. It's so stupid. And he's supposed to be on a weekend pass seeing visiting his family, his parents. Needless to say, staff gets word about this, right? And they interrogate a bunch of people and say, we know there's a photo. Oh, God, I got hiccups. They say, we know there's a photo, and you have to show it to us right now. Show us the photo. And I'm not going to say who did, and not going to say who didn't, but the photo was provided to staff, and now staff has this physical evidence that there's a photo of him getting in the car, in this homeless chick's borrowed car and hanging out, even though he's supposed to be on a fucking weekend pass. He's just outwardly lying, you know, blatantly lying to staff, saying, no, I don't know what you're talking about, man. And he gets back from his weekend pass, because he technically was going on a weekend pass, but he was neglecting to say, oh, I'm also going to see this chick that you forbidden me to see. You know, and he was so excited about graduating and stuff. But uh, basically, he uh, staff had who was working on Sunday, the day he's supposed to come back from his pass, basically said, you know, we know that you're still seeing whatever this homeless chick and we know this is going on and that's going on. And so he comes back up in his room and he's freaking out and he's like, fuck these snitches, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just thinking like, Henry, you wouldn't be in this trouble if you'd followed the fucking rules. That's all you had to fucking do. So a few days ha- have gone by. I'm going, to, I'm working full time. Actually, scratch that. I was, my first day on the job, I was filling out all this paperwork, like a W-2 and W-4 and filling out all this other paperwork and doing all this, you know, these, you know, I don't know, lectures or tests on sexual, um, harassment and stuff like that. So when I got done with that, they had let me go home early and they said, come in, you know, at 9am and work a regular day. So I was like, okay. And I get home and I walk into my room and I look 
and I see Henry, and he's packing up all his shit into trash bags. And I'm like, what the fuck are you doing, Henry? And he's like, I got kicked out, man. And he's like bitching and complaining about getting kicked out and about people need to mind their own business and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like thinking, ugh idiot dude he, it's like if you mind if you minded your own business and did what you were told you wouldn't be in this situation in the first place all you had to do was follow the rules and the shit would have been good and so he gets kicked out probably one of the only people in the history of this rehab to have gotten kicked out in fourth phase literally a phase that you know <laughs> that it's almost impossible to get kicked out of. You know, you're working and you're allowed to do all, pretty much everything except do drugs. And he, fu- he manages to fuck that up. So they get all his shit as much as he can pack. He's taking his sweet... At- oh, and he gets fired, by the way. Finally gets fired from his job because he sucks at life. And, you know, they get him into a sober living. I think it was Newhouse 3... Or something, but they get him there, and um, he's in, and he's got like I have to pack the rest of his shit for some reason. I don't know why they deemed myself as the one that has to do it, but I put all his shit in the like seven different trash bags, wrap it up, put it in the attic, and get rid of it. You know, he's kicked the fuck out. You know, I'm like whatever. I'm like cool, it's fine. I have a whole room to myself. And that's, it's not a big deal. So, you know, that's the story of Henry. I don't know why I brought it up, but it was funny. And so then, you know, I'm continuing with phase four. My good friend Trey, shout outs to Trey. He moves in and um, he's probably the most chill roommate one could possibly ask for. And my, he's good friends with uh, Gary and Mike and they come in they come in and they're hanging out all the time i'm saving up as much money as possible i have a few grand saved up i'm going to school so i i basically am and recording podcasts but i'm basically you know getting getting to work doing a full eight hour shift going home exhausted eating going to a meeting and then um basically doing some homework and going to bed Hold on one sec. God, this hospital is just chaos right now. Anyway, so time goes by. Eventually, Trey moves in, and he's in third phase. He's almost in fourth phase. And I don't see them that much. I'm just going to work all day. And a meeting and eating and stuff. So, um, more and more, people that I did the program with are getting into phase four, getting or at least being in phase three and getting into phase four rooms. And um, it's pretty chill. The last, the very last month, this is around January, the very last month of me being in the program, you know, they were having announcements about uh, if this coronavirus thing was any worse, we're going to, quarantine the rehab and that kind of scared me because it's like well I can't be in quarantine I have to get to work you know what the fuck so 
they made a decision that if they're going to start, um, I forget the specifics of it all, but if they're going to start quarantining different areas of the county, then we're going to be in quarantine in the main facility. And by that point, you know, uh, the, the board of directors had called me and like three other people into his office. And what happened was, is everyone was forced into a quarantine who was not in phase four, but the people who were in phase four, instead of going into quarantine, they were allowed to move into the sober living house early. Um, reason being is because, you know, people can go to work or look for a job or do or go to school or this or that or the other. And no one knew back in January how bad this whole COVID thing was. No one knew anything, but they wanted to take the proper precautions. And any county ordinance, any county ordinances they wanted to implement so they don't get in trouble, they don't get fined or anything. So that weekend, I literally had to get all of my shit and move it out of the phase four room and move in to the sober living. And that was a huge pain in the ass in itself. Um, it was a fucking nightmare, but I did. And, you know, I waited out over the weekend and, you know, come Monday or Tuesday or whatever, I start driving to work every day from the sober living. And sober living is, is a little bit different. There's a little bit different rules. Um, you know, um, it could have been worse, you know, at least I was making money and doing this and that. So, you know, you're not in the rehab and the sober living are two separate buildings that are separate from themselves. So I'm not living in this building with all the guys who had gone through the inpatient program with, but I'm, you know, I'm friends with people at the sober living and, you know, there's meetings there and there's this and that there. And so I'm going to that around this time. I'm around this time in January. That's when I experienced my first and most severe flare up from ulcerative colitis. Now it, when I say flare up, I mean, not, not just shitting blood and not, not feeling any pain. No, I was having every night I was having the most extreme stomach cramps. I felt fucking horrible. And at night I would get in the fetal position and whimper like a fucking dog, you know, um, I had the whole, I had a whole room to myself, so I didn't have to worry. I was farting every night and the room smelled like farts and I'd get up like five times a night and just diarrhea, shit, blood and liquid shit into the toilet and I'd moan and I'd be like, Oh God. And I'd buy baby wipes and, um, it was fucking awful. And I'd tell my parents, like, I am in fucking agony. Now, you know, my dad he doesn't know too much about colitis other than he lives with my mother and sees what kind of pain she goes through. And I've witnessed the type of excruciatingly agonizing pain that she deals with. And, you know, 
when you witness someone going through that, it's so much different than actually going through it yourself. I will say that. Um, you know, like it's, it's nothing, it's nothing in comparison. It is so vastly different and more severe. Um, I'll just, let me just say that and get that out of the way. So I would just experience all this pain until I would have to try and call my gastroenterologist. And when I made the call, um, I was also, let's see, I had, <clears throat> I wasn't working back then and I had Medi-Cal. Um, but then when I had gotten this job with benefits and such, I had health insurance benefits and I had to fill out all this paperwork for health insurance, which I made a decision to get the golden HMO package. It's like a $1,200 deductible. I chose against a dental because their dental plan was a total fucking ripoff. You know, I'd save more money if I went down to Mexico across the border myself and had sh my teeth worked on there, you know, <laughs> like it was just a ripoff. So, um, I decided to do that and I was waiting for my benefits card, my health insurance benefits card and all that. And, um, finally, after waiting for me to be processed through that, cause this is happening every single night, every night I Around the time I lay in bed, I'm having the worst stomach cramps. I'm, I'm fucking, you know, just shitting, not shitting myself, but I'm basically at the point where I'm about to shit my pants and running to the bathroom three to six times at night and liquid shitting all inside the toilet bowl. And it's just, it's brutal, man. Just doing that every night, multiple, multiple times. God, it, I wanted to, I wanted to fucking die. And, um, no one at that sober living knows I'm going through this. And at the same time, you know, like all this stuff is happening to my body. I have no idea this is going on. And basically, um, I'm shitting out so much blood I'm losing blood and my hemoglobin count starts to plummet. I have no idea this is going on, but, um, you know, I, I, I lose my tan. You know, I got people there making fun of me. Like you need to go to the beach and get a tan. It's like, all right, well, f well fucker, you know, um, I don't even want to go to the beach cause I feel like I'm going to fucking die, <laughs> you know? And at, at the same time, I want to, I'm just miserable. And I'm noticing all these problems within the sober, sober living to the point where I'm pretty much fed up. If you listen to earlier episodes, I may have talked about going to, um, Balboa, Balboa and visiting, um, I think I visited B Casper for a weekend or whatnot. And, you know, it, it was just fucking ridiculous how I had to, you know, I had to make up a, a, an excuse or a lie saying I was going to see family and, and, well, we don't want you to go during the weekdays. We want you to go on weekends. So it's like, I'm like, dude, I just did a 12 month program and I want some freedoms. And, you know, the house manager, like 
you know, God bless him. You know, he means well and all this and that. But he is the shittiest house manager there is. He is the shittiest. He sucks. Like, you try to text him, he doesn't respond. You try to call him, he doesn't answer. You go outside his bedroom door and you knock on the door, pound the fuck out of the door, like, and wait for a minute. He doesn't answer the door. And he's in his fucking room, but he has headphones on and he plays, like, World of Warcraft or some shit. And it's like, if you have a legitimate problem that needs to be addressed, then you would expect him to be more available. But he doesn't answer his door for shit. And he almost gets mad or offended that you're trying to get a hold of him. And it's like, hey, fuckhead, you live here for free and get paid to run a sober living. At least you can do is hold people accountable and... And just not treat this like it's a joke. Don't treat it like you're fucking... You just get to play video games all day, every day, and get paid for it. It just boggles my mind. Like, I know so... I could do a fucking better job, you know? He's fucking... Jesus Christ, the guy is so stupid. And there's that whole situation where I um, got back from my weekend pass, hanging out with B. Casper. Shoutouts to her. She's awesome. But, um... You know, he tried to get me to test, and I was like, I showed back up, and it's like 12, and I'm like, I'm ready to test, I'm ready to test, and he's like, doesn't know what I'm talking about, and, uh, you know, asks me, like, a question that has nothing to do with that, and then runs back into his room and slams the door and plays fucking computer games. It's like, you're a grown-ass man. Like, yeah, I like computer games, too. I like video games, too. But you can put that on pause, and you can address the problem. You know, I had an issue where I was trying to get a bedroom, and um, someone else had tried to snag it from beneath my feet, and I tried to talk to him about it, and he's like, oh, well, well let me think. I just, I just need to think. I just need to think. It's like, what is there to fucking think about, you know? You, you, it's like he's got wet brain. It's like, fuck, dude, just, just, this is the situation, fix it. You gave me this room, and now someone else is trying to take it from, from under me. So, handle that. Hold people accountable and do what is required of you. And he didn't hold people accountable to do their chores and this and that and, you know... Every two weeks, and another person would come over from the rehab, and he'd, be, he'd fucking dictate authority through a group text, you know, because that way he didn't have to leave his room and didn't have to fucking do anything. He'd just text, oh, you guys need to clean the microwave. If you don't do it, I'm going to take it away from you. It was like, fuck, fuck off, dude. Like, <laughs> do your job. Get someone to clean it or do something. Like, just, God, you're fucking useless. And I don't mean to be so mean or be so harsh on the guy, but God, that guy, he, he, fuck, he just sucks at his job. And it's like, I've seen so many sober living managers or the people who are ahead of sober living who do such a better job. They may be militant and they may be strict and, and whatnot and this and that and the other, but at least there's order. At least shit gets done, you know? I'd rather have that than... A fucking scenario where nobody does anything, you know? It's f- fucking insane. 
<sighs> Sorry for that rant, but anyway. So I already had made, I was already looking on online at places for rent and people are moving out in droves. People hate it there. They don't like it there. And you know, staff on the other side of, in the rehab, they're like, well, that's not my fucking responsibility. Like that's their job. They need to do their job. I shouldn't be doing their job. And it's like, I agree with you, dude, but this guy sucks. And I was already at the point where I'm like, I need to get the fuck out of here. And Zach had already gotten that feeling and someone else had approached Zach and said, Hey, I found this place. We should get it. And there, it was a three bedroom and there was two of them. And he was like, yeah, let's do it. And they jumped on it and they got their own place. You know, my old friend, Chad, who was my bunkie at one point, he moved out because he hated it there. And, you know, like most other people, they moved out and they relapsed. Like, um, who else was it? Chad moved out. He ended up getting his girlfriend pregnant. Um, and it was a secret from me for the longest time. But basically, he moved out and moved in with his girlfriend. Didn't have to pay rent there. And he knocked up his girlfriend and got her pregnant. And he was so terrified of that situation that he ended up drinking over it. And his uh, substance of choice is alcohol. So he went on a sick bender. And I think he's still on a sick bender. And fucking... um, yeah, he, he's just get, getting mad drunk right now, and f- he's got a kid to look after, and it's like, well, fuck, dude, like, wow. Then another guy who moved out, he uh, he had called one of us and said, oh, what grade did you get uh, in that class? And they were like, oh, I got a B, and he's like, oh, well, I got an A, you know, like, fucking humble bragging and showing off, and he's like, well, I'm going to go to this restaurant, and we're going to drink and celebrate, and blah, 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 and he moved in with a girlfriend. And so who knows what the fuck happened to him. So, and then who else was it? Fuck. I can't think of all these different people. But that that guy relapsed. My friend Chad relapsed. And one other person um, relapsed. And I forget who it was. It doesn't even fucking matter at this point. But he just was like, yeah, I relapsed. And th- not only that, but now... You know, our house manager is such, so shitty at, you know, testing people and holding people accountable and getting people to test and having, even having a clean bathroom to test, you know, like he doesn't, I don't know. So now there's people in fucking, um, the house that are like relapsing and, the, the only reason we know about that is because he self-admitted. But one other guy, he came back from a weekend pass visiting his family. And, um, yeah, he fucking, he relapsed and on meth, <laughs> of all things. And um, he self-admitted and got kicked out. And it's like, that responsibility almost lies on the house manager, in a way. It, it, and technically... It lies on the individual. You're going to choose to to relapse, you know, then that's your fuck up. But, you know, if if you never get tested and you get back from a weekend pass and no one gets tested and this and that, then you're going to try and get away with some shit, you know? And I had gone back from my weekend pass, hanging out in in Balboa with with B. Casper, and, you know, I I was forced to, to test 
or I, I basically told him like, I'm ready to test. And he walked back into his room and then at 1230 at night, he texts me and he's all, did you test yet? And I'm like, no, I told you I'm ready to test. I said, I'm ready to test. And you ignored me and walked back in your room. And so he doesn't text me back until three in the morning. I said, literally in the text at 1230 at night, I can test right now if you want. I can test it. If not, I can test in the morning. You know, he doesn't choose to look at my text and respond to it because I could have just text tested right there. No, he goes, oh, well, then test in the morning. But it's really your responsibility and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like thinking, you fucking you fucktard. Like, you, all you had to do was test me the first time. And now I'm at a point where uh, I have to fucking test. It's fucking, it's just stupid. Like, god damn. So then there's this whole debacle where I tried to test in the morning. And, you know, no one's around to test. I hit up uh, Gabe. He's not around. He's, like, at a meeting or something. I'm like, hey, so the house manager says you can test me. I'm trying to test. Uh, I hit up the house manager and I'm like, I'm ready to test. No one's fucking answering their phone. Uh, I even go next door and fucking and hit up, <laughs> hit up Dylan. Cause I know he works on the weekends and I'm like, Hey, um, no one is there to test me and they want to test me. I-, I can test over here right now. And he's like, no, that's not my job. That's their fucking job. And you know, they're getting mad at me. And then finally, like Five, six hours later, while I'm at work, they basically say, oh, well, it's fine. Just test when you get off work. And I basically am like, all right, I'm texting them. I'm like, I'm getting off work. I'm driving home. Like, I will be ready to test as soon as I fucking get home. Like, I'm ready to test. Like, don't be don't be hiding out in your room. Don't be not available. Like, make yourself available. And he's not answering text him doesn't answer I call him he doesn't answer I pound pound fucking fucking pound on the door and wait for like 30 to 60 second intervals doesn't answer and I do this like three times in a row I knock on the door like for a minute straight ugh yeah so then um he, yeah, no answer. He fucking, I'm like, all right, I'll send one more text and be like, all right, uh, I've tried to text you. I've tried to call you. I've knocked on your, outside your door three times in a row and no one's answered. So I'm going to go to the fucking smoking patio and I'm going to fucking just sit there and vape and wait for you to do, to get a hold of me. Cause you're not. You're not fucking doing what you said you would do. You're not doing shit. And so finally, I'm, you know, I'm vaping. I'm out there. I'm on the phone with my sister just saying how much of a shithole it is to live here. And um, finally, he, yeah, you know, texts me and he's like, oh, did you, did you leave or something? I'm like, no, I'm here waiting for however long I've been waiting. Like... And he's like, all right, well, meet me in the uh, hallway in about, you know, three minutes. <laughs> three minutes, huh? I was like, fine. So I go out there, go to the hallway, go to where his office is, and the fucker's there. 
and we, he, he, you can tell like the way his body language is and the way he, he's like walking me to the bathroom. He, he's got, he's like holding a grudge. It's like, dude, you're, you're supposed to know how to, just to know like the 12 steps and shit. You're just, you're a shithead, you know, you fucking suck at life. And, um, basically, um, he he takes me into this bathroom. It's it's, ba- it's the bathroom that's under the stairs, and someone should have been assigned a job to clean this bathroom, but no one has. So he, he opens the door to just a disgusting, filthy fucking mess. And I look at the there's like fucking three week old piss stains on the ground and shit. And he hands me a fucking cup, kind of rudely, if I do say so myself. And so I finally just grab the fucking thing, just so pissed off, and I piss in it, and I hand it back to him, practically getting spillage on his on his fucking wrist or something, because, dude, fucking asshole, it's like, dude, I've been trying to do this for fucking days now, you could have fucking just done it the first time when I asked you, and so I piss in it, and, you know, he puts his dipstick in it and whatnot, and then I go to the other bathroom, the my bathroom, the main bathroom, to finish taking the rest of my pee. And he mutters some bullshit under his breath. He's like, boo, 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 boo. And I'm like, uh, excuse me, did you say something? Did you have something you want to say to me? You know? And he was like, oh, oh, well, uh, you know, uh, it's, uh, it's like the same protocol, like, next door, right? And I'm like, uh, yeah. Testing is, for Weekend Pass, is the same protocol as next door. But the only difference is there's always someone made available to always test me when I get home. And when I ask to test, I get tested. So that's on you, you know? And, um, you know, just just try and mutter something under their breath and trying to talk, like, talk shit when I'm, like, halfway down the hall and in another room. Like, don't fucking try and say something when I'm fucking... Cause I'll call you out on that shit. You try to try and talk, sh- talk shit to my face. You know I'll respect you a lot more. But mutter something stupid under his breath, like he's a badass or something. I'll fucking kick you in the fucking. <sighs> Fuck that guy. Anyway, I test and it's clean. So then I'm cooking dinner and you know Gabe gets home and he chews me out again, like everyone else chewed me out, and it's like. Yeah, well, you know, I know you and the house manager probably got chewed out for this, that, and the other, but do your fucking job, you know? It's not that fucking hard, you know? You know, I love you guys, but it's, just do your fucking job, dude. I, you, you, you hand me a cup to pee in. Like, is it that fucking hard? For free rent, I'll fucking do that shit. Like, he's fucking, ugh, idiots. So, anyway, I do that, and I'm just, at that point... I'm pretty much sick and tired of living there. And, you know, I'm calling Zach and telling him about it all the time, saying I'm sick of living here and sick of this and that. And I get a call from Zach, and he's like, well, you know, we have a room for rent if you want it. He's like, the guy who we were supposed to rent the room out to, he flaked out yet again, like for the third time in a row. And um, do you want the room? And I was like, yes, I want the room. I have money saved for life. I like three or four grand saved up. I was like, I can pay a security deposit. I can pay first month's rent, you know, and have money left over in the bank. 
I was like, I will, I will fucking pay for that. So I don't tell anybody. I kind of drop a hint here and there, but um, the first of the, the the of next month um, is my plan to move out. And so I basically tell him like, look, I'm moving out on the first or right before the first. And, um, here's fucking whatever, how much I ever prorate the amount I owe you for whatever time left over it is I spent there and I'm moving out. And you know, what happens is like, you know, especially with, with, uh, the MO of everyone else who's moved out. It's like, everyone's like, Oh dude, he's so going to relapse. He's so going to relapse. Blah, blah. Brian's going to relapse. Blah, 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 blah. You know, some fucking high and mighty, like superiority case or whatever. And everyone's like, Oh yeah, I'm packing my shit. And they're like, Oh, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm moving out, dude. You know, like I got offered a room. It's a good price and I'm jumping on it. And, uh, you know, at first, you know, People look at me like, you know, I'm going to relapse and they wish me the best and, and I don't relapse, <laughs> you know, um, I got my own place. It's a really nice place, but, um, I don't relapse, but all the while I I'm thinking, okay, great. I'm going to move out. And the stress from not being at this fucking stupid house is going to help my colitis. I'm not going to have as many symptoms or this and that and you know for the first day or so it's it works out like that you know I don't I don't have many symptoms at if any and um things are good I go to work and I maintain my job I have a good work ethic and um I handle my shit and you know the bosses love me and I do a good job but it's like it comes, it just comes back, you know, like everything else. So my symptoms come back hard and, you know, I'm calling my gastroenterologist, this fucking guy, you know, wish I could say his name, but I don't want to be super slanderous about whatever. Um, but he will only see me through zoom appointments or zoom meetings or zoom consultations or stuff. And a whole while He's beta testing meds on me. So it's like, oh, well, are things improving and this and that? And check in with me in two weeks. And it's like, uh, yeah, you know, it's been two weeks and I'm still shitting blood every night. And I'm still having diarrhea shits three to six times a night. Like, you know, they put me on a, what is it, prednisone, like a steroid for your stomach. And for the most part, you know, that helps during the day because, you know, you know, at first, my flare-up was so bad that I was in so much pain during the day that even just, like, drinking water, I would get stomach cramps during the day. And I could barely even move, you know? It was horrible. And so they're beta testing all these meds on me. I'm on prednisone, 40 milligrams a day, still on balsalicide to sodium, which I don't know why, because that's for something you take when you're in remission to keep you in remission, I am in nowhere in near remission. I have a bad flare up and the prednisone is to treat the flare up and you're not supposed to take a prednisone like all, like every day because it's very bad. It's bad when you're, it's bad to take every day. Um, so they have me on 
prednisone, balsalicide sodium. I'm probably not pronouncing this right at all. They got me on, uh, I forget the name of it, but it was some fucking stupid like pill you take as needed that's like, um, it's like a pill that dissolves in your under your tongue and you take it for stomach cramping. That doesn't help at all. They even prescribed me fucking enemas. <laughs> and I, every night I'm supposed to stick this thing up my ass. You know, they prescribed it to me, you know, when I was in the, the rehab. And it was like for two weeks. It's not supposed to be for full, you know, to take every day. But yeah, a meslamine or something. And, you know, every night I'm jamming this enema up my ass and squeezing liquid into my fucking rectum or colon or whatever just to just to prove to this idiot that um none of his shit is working and so i'm you know zoom consultation after zoom consultation i'm basically meeting with him online and saying yeah i'm taking all this shit you were prescribing me and none of it is fucking working None of it. I'm getting the same symptoms. I'm having the same pains every night. Like, during the day is not that bad, you know? The prednisone, I guess, helps me out during the day. And then, I guess, at the end of the day, the prednisone wears off. And I eat dinner. And then at night, I'm literally laying in bed, just curled up in a fetal position, like, crying myself to sleep. And going to fucking... Going to the bathroom every night like six times and having liquid bloody diarrhea shits it was bad so um yeah i was just miserable and this is this is like by you know i had my flare-up in january this is like may march april may it's like april or may so it's been about four or five months almost six months of flare-up and, you know, he, my gastro doctor is trying to tell me, oh, well, this, this can last up to like, you know, eight weeks and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, it's been way longer than that, you know? And you, you're checking in with me like, well, how are you having any less bowel movements a day? Are you having, is it solid at all? Is there less blood? And it's like, I didn't know I had to have a fucking shit journal. And like, every time I have a shit, like write down its consistency how much blood is in it, you know, like, no. So I'm like, no, I'm, I'm always in pain and you're not helping me. So help me. And so he's just, he's just like, oh, well, try and continue with the prednisone and see what happens. Totally just like not, just neglecting. He's totally negligent in my fucking, my fucking, in treating me. And so then my, my mom is like, well, um, I will help you find my um, my gastro doctor because he's did wonders for me and I've been in remission for over a year. Turns out it's the exact same fucking guy. Same name, same everything. So I make a request to switch doctors, but I can't because it's the same fucking doctor. This fucking guy, like, I swear, I'm about to file a fucking... I'm about to take this guy to, to medical malpractice. I'm about to file a medical malpractice suit against him because he's such a fucking incompetent fucking idiot. Like, no one should be treated like that and put in that much pain for that long. And, you know, we'll get into this into part two, but the last thing I want to say 
or rant about. Um, it was around 4th of July weekend was coming up. It's been all the way until July. So February, March, April, May, June, July. It's been six months of this shit. And basically by this time, you know, I'm just like pain for me. Like I'm expecting it. I'm used to the pain. I'm like every night I'm like, all right, let's get it done. I'm going to be in pain tonight, you know? So basically I'm in pain all night. I take all my shits. And then when I wake up in the morning, I wake up extra early and I basically go and take my prednisone and go back to bed and wait like an hour after I take the prednisone for it to, to kick into my body, <laughs> you know, because I'm literally in that much pain. Um, so, and then I can get, get up and go about moving and doing whatever throughout the day, take my last bloody shit of the day. And then I'm good during the day. So I'm up in, I take a weekend pass cause it's not only 4th of July weekend, but it's also my mother's birthday, which is July 2nd. Yeah. So, um, I get a weekend pass and I go up there and I go and visit my parents. And also it's, they, you know, the washers and dryers at sober living are fucking horrible. They're supposed to be brand new and they're supposed to pay like, I don't know, like 75 cents for a wash and 75 cents for a dry and it looks all professional but it's so cheap and shitty literally you put too much clothes in the washing machine and put in your your fucking three quarters or whatever and if you put too much clothes in it like the whole through the whole load the the fucking the clothes won't get fully wet you know like it won't it won't wash your clothes for shit so I'm like, fuck that. I'm going to my parents' washer and dryer because that washer and dryer is good and I can do an extra rinse, an extra soak, or this or that, and um, that's what I do. And so, you know, I'm laying on the couch watching some fucking movie. I mean, 4th of July is pretty much guaranteed to be shut down. You know, there's no social gatherings going on because we're in this lockdown for COVID. There's no fireworks. Barely anyone is buying fireworks, you know, and, um, I'm doing, I'm doing laundry and it's taking forever. And, but I'm like, fuck it. You know, I have like five loads of laundry and it's a lot cheaper for me to do it up here because it's free. And so unbeknownst to me, my, my hemoglobin or my red blood cell count, it is so fucking low. It's dropped so low from shitting blood over the past six months. I've lost so much red blood cells that there isn't enough red blood cells to carry oxygen to my fucking brain. <laughs> oh my God. So I get up, uh, the get the ding that the washer's done, and I get up off the couch and I run to the wash washer and dryer room to change the load and put in another load of laundry. Now I don't have enough oxygen being, you know, carried to my brain. So I get really lightheaded. Now, when I first get up, I don't feel this at all, but as I'm taking strides over to the washer and dryer, I'm becoming more and more lightheaded. 
and I start to feel it as I get over there, and I'm like, oh, fuck, I'm really fucking lightheaded, to the point where I know I'm going to fall, I'm like going to black out and fall, and so I reach my hand, and I feel myself like losing consciousness, <laughs> and I reach out my hands, and I try to grab the door frame, um, to reach out for anything to grab, to hold me in place, because for, for a few times I'd gotten up and I was so lightheaded I had to like lean on something and just be like, oh shit. So I'm like, oh fuck, I'm going down. And I'm, I'm trying to hold on to this door frame because my body is giving out, I'm falling. And I'm basically, I fall, you know? And I fall so hard. My parents have um, a hard tile floor. I fall and I'm laying on the floor and basically I'm, I come to and I see my legs and I'm laying on the fucking floor and I'm like, oh shit, I fell down. And so then I reach my hand back and my, I feel the back of my head because I'm pretty sure I hit, I hit the back of my head and I look at my hand after I felt the back of my head and it is covered in blood. Like I felt my hand and there's just blood all over my hand. I look on the ground, on the tiles. There's spots of blood on the ground and blood is dripping from my head onto the tile ground. Which is, if anyone's experienced that, it's, you know, a little scary, to say the least, you know? It's like, uh, fuck. And so then, I'm like, I, I look down the, down the room and into like, you know, you know, like the office, butts by the kitchen or whatever, and see my dad walking around. He doesn't see me. He hadn't seen that I had fallen. But I'm like, fuck, I need to keep this from my dad. Because it was something to be like, I don't know, shameful or embarrassed about. Like, I don't want them to know I fell and hit my head. Like, who the fuck does that? And I do not want to go to the hospital. And so I quickly clean it up. I get some paper towels and I clean up all the blood on the ground. It's fucking it's crazy. And I get a towel and I soak it with warm water and I put it on the back of my head. And there's some blood on it still. You know, I'm bleeding onto this towel. And I lay on it and put pressure on it. And after a while, you know, the fucking um, bleeding finally goes away and I lay down there for the rest of the day and you know I'm thinking like well what am I gonna fucking do like I have to tell somebody this is serious and I don't really tell anyone out of sh shame so basically I I lay in bed I go just into my bedroom and I'm laying in bed trying to recover from this because I know I'm I have two days off from work and I know I'm going to have to go back to work, you know? So I'm just trying to take whatever little time I have to, to re relax and rest and, and recuperate from all this nonsense. And finally, you know, it's nighttime. My dad comes in and he's checking on me and I'm like, yeah, I need to tell you something. I fell down earlier and I hit my head and I was bleeding and this and that. And, um, I need to just get rest, you know? And so I was, my dad was super cool with it. My mom, on the other hand, was looking at me like, like I have an ulterior motive and which already pissed me off. Like what, 
what do I have to gain out of this? Like, do I, would, do I actually have the balls to fall down on purpose and hit my head or pretend that I hit my head? And what, what, by doing that, what do I gain out of this process? You know? So the next day is my last day at the house. Um, and I'm basically laying in bed all day. I'm laying on the couch watching TV and I'm laying in bed all fucking day because, and I still have low ass hemoglobin. So there's that, which I'm not aware of at the time, but, um, I'm also having this concussion, this head injury that I'm pretty scared of. I've never really had a concussion on that level. And so I'm trying to finish, frantically finish my laundry. And I asked my dad, I'm like, hey, dad, um, you know, I know you have a lot going on, but is there any way you could possibly do me a huge solid and help me finish my laundry, help me fold it? And help me bring it to the car. Because ever since I hit my head, I'm just carrying the clothes to my car. I'm like super short of breath. And I just don't feel well. I don't feel I don't feel good enough doing the shit by myself. And he's like, yeah, sure. You know, I'll help you. So while I'm laying there for like the last hour of my stay at my, my parents' house, my dad is helping me by, um, <laughs> he's helping me basically fold laundry and do laundry and put away laundry in my car. And I have almost everything carried to my car and I'm almost ready to leave. You know, it's like more than the last hour. It's like the last 10 minutes before I have to drive all the way down South and get home for the work week or whatever. And my mom, God bless her, but shit, she's sweeping the floor in the living room where I'm laying on the couch in front of me and giving me dirty fucking looks. And every now and then she'll sweep a little bit and then look up and stare at me and give me the dirtiest fucking look ever. And then she'll do one of those fucking bullshit sighs where you know something's upsetting her, but she's not saying anything. And she's like, And I'm just like, after like the second or third one of those, I'm like, well, okay, okay, mom, obviously something is upsetting you. What, what is it? Like, you're like, obviously like my presence or something is bothering you and you might as well just come out with it and tell me, you know, I fucking hate it when people do that. I hate it when people are sweeping or doing whatever and they choose to do it directly in front of you and every now and then they stop what everything they're doing and they stand there and they stare at you and give you a dirty look like you don't recognize what the fuck is going on and then they go "Ah, ah, ah." it's like just tell me what the fuck is bothering you you know just fucking tell me and so I'm like, mom, what's the matter? You know, something's bothering you. Just tell me what the fuck is up. What is the matter? And she's like, well, she's like, I'm like, obviously I must've done something to upset you. So why don't you just tell me what it is? Cause this is kind of ridiculous. And she's like, 
She's like, honey, it's not you. It's just your father. Your father, just, he, he likes to help people and he shouldn't be helping people and stuff. I'm like, I'm thinking, or I'm, I tell her, I'm like, well, what? What is it that he's doing that's upsetting you so much? Is 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 the fact that he's f folding my laundry and putting it in my car, is that really that upsetting to you? And apparently, from her perspective, she has the impression that he has always been this enabler because she has such a a little a very a vague and little understanding about addiction. You know, she thinks she knows more about addiction. I'm sure she does. But at the same fucking time, she knows very fucking little about addiction. And she is an addict herself and alcoholic, which I don't get, you know. So she, in her mind, I'm trying to, I don't know, purposefully uh, get a head injury, bleed from the head, and then play the victim or dramatize the situation so that I don't know. I don't know what my fucking ulterior motive is in that. Like, what do I, what do I gain out of that? Like, what the fuck? It just got me so upset. And then like, like she, she thinks that I can like try and manipulate my way back into moving in or something. Like, I don't know. It just, it bothers me to, to no fucking end. And so I'm like, what is, is dad folding laundry like that upsetting to you? And she's like, well, this and that. And she tried to make it seem like my head injury, like I'm oh, like I'm playing a victim or over dramatizing the situation. And I'm like, I'm like, mom, check this out. I fucking got a concussion yesterday. I fell over and hit my head on your tile and split my head and was bleeding all over my hand and all over the tile. And she literally looks at me and goes, well, that was yesterday. Like, and I was like, I fucking, I, f I went off. I was like, all right, all right. I was like, all right, that's it. I was like, obviously I'm doing something that just bothers you to no end. And so I'll just go, I'll just leave. And so I, I get, I was fucking pissed. So I grab all my shit, throw it into my car and just, I'm getting ready to leave. Not even say goodbye or anything. Cause it's like, it's like, what the fuck, you know, like. I get it, you know, um, addicts sometimes do things to play a victim or try and get, uh, or get a response out of someone and make people feel sorry for them and this, that, and the other to try and get their way or, or this or that. But it's like, no, I literally like, there's something legitimately wrong with me. I'm fucking bleeding out of my skull and I'm recuperating from that. And she thinks that I have some fucking grand scheme of whatever to like, um, to get something out of them. I don't even know what, like what, I don't even know what I could possibly get. And so I'm basically in the middle of doing that and trying to like get out of living in my own apartment or this or that. And I'm just like, no mom, I don't want to live with you. In fact, not to be mean, but you're the last person I'd want to live with, you know? You give dad shit about all these things. Your father does this. Your father does that. It's like, I don't want to hear that. And she even goes as far as to say like things like, like, oh my God, I want to divorce him because of this. And I almost divorced him in the past. And sometimes you just want to 
like pack my things and leave and it's just like I don't want to hear that I'm not equipped to hear that I'm your fucking youngest child and I don't want to hear that you know I don't know how to process that information and I don't know what to tell you like I don't know what to tell you like I'm not your therapist I'm not your fucking counselor like and I'm not I don't know, like, I'm not, I'm, yeah, semi-recovered, but I'm not doing what you think I'm doing. I'm not fucking intentionally hitting my head on the fucking tile floor to try and gain something to my advantage. And that just, it pissed me off. I was so pissed off. Like, I, I still am, you know, we still haven't resolved this. But I packed all my shit, and then my dad comes out, and he's like, you know, he's stuck in it, I feel bad for bad for him because he's stuck in the middle you know he's married to my mom and has to you know kind of not side with my mom but try and help my mom but also he realizes how ridiculous this is you know and he's trying to find some common ground where me and her can get along and it's like me and her just me and my mother have not gotten along in, in a long time it's like she has this whole mentality where it's like well you know you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps and do this and that. And it's like, you know, I can't tell her about any of the emotional trauma or, or anything I'm going through because she thinks like, well, you're just going to have to deal with it because you're not living with me anymore. And it's like, yeah, I don't want to live with you anymore. Like, I love you. I love you. And this and that and the other, but I can't live with someone who treats me that way. No, no fucking way. I will work an eight hour a day job and work while I have fucking such bad symptoms for colitis that I lose so much blood that I fucking get a concussion. Like I'll deal with that instead of dealing with this, <laughs> you know, and I'm not trying to laugh because it's funny just because it's, it's awkward and it's weird, but it's just like, what? And I don't mean to rant because I love my mom and I'm sure my mom listens and I tell her not to listen to this podcast even though she does and she knows about the most horrible things I ever did because she desperately wants to understand addiction but this is not the podcast to understand addiction. I'm sorry, it's not. This is the podcast where other people who've been through the shit listen to me talk about my horrible stories and the horrible things I've done because they're entertaining. It's really no, there's no reason to, to, to listen to this unless you're an addict. You don't gain any understanding of addiction, really. You know, unless you've already have that understanding because you're afflicted. So I, I left super fucking pissed. I went to Starbucks, drive through, got a coffee and drove all the way back home. And I still haven't had that conversation with my mom. I need to. I need to make an amends to my mom. But she wants to avoid the issue. And she wants to act like, well, you know, everything's okay and nothing's wrong. And everything's all right. And, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, oh, my God. Like, I want to rant and, and talk shit more because it makes me so fucking mad that she's like, you know, I don't know. But just the, the fact, like, I, I was super depressed when I started working and living in sober living and telling my, telling my, oh, I'd only want to speak to my dad because my dad knew, had a better idea of, of how to just have this conversation with me. But when I talked to my mom, she's just like, yeah, we'll deal with it. Pick yourself up, tough it, 
oh god hiccups but you'd be like you need you have to deal with it you have to pick yourself up by your bootstraps dust yourself up dust yourself off and just do the damn thing and i'm like yeah well you know it's not it's not the 1980s where you can buy a house for what we charge a car nowadays they charge like 40 to 60 to 80 thousand dollars for a house now it's like in California, a oh, cool million. So no, it's not, it's not the same. It's not easier. In fact, it's a lot harder to live on your own. And the homeless, the, like the rate of homelessness here is fucking astronomical. And yeah, there's just this disconnect with me and my mom. And you know, I love my mom to no end. And I appreciate all the things my mom has done for me. And I'm not saying that. And if you're listening, Mom, I love you, and I apologize for the horrible things I've done as an addict, and I apologize for a lot of that, and I'm so appreciative for all the times you've gone out of your way to help pay for a lawyer or bail me out of jail or and help me in all these situations where I'm trying to get, trying to overcome my addiction. But for you to... Tr talk to me that way and treat me that way on to no ends where it's like I talked to you about having suicidal thoughts well we need to, we need to get you a, a, a psychologist and we need to do this and that no I need oh my god and then and then this whole head trauma thing like oh well that was yesterday oh oh I'm sorry the head trauma was yesterday so today I'm perfectly fucking fine and my health is reset back to normal it's, it's, f makes me so fucking mad and I'm still fucking mad and I have held this resentment against my mom for the longest fucking time ever since this whole conversation happened and I stormed out of the house, me and my mom have yet to have a conversation where it's like, well, that was wrong on me. Well, what can we do to make the situation better? No, it's like, I'm the one who's in the wrong. I'm the fucking one who... Who, who's a f constant fuck up I'm the one who's an addict you know like no, fuck that you know every, nobody's perfect everybody makes mistakes own up to your shit like and I don't want my mom to listen to this this is for me to rant this is a part of the story where I rant the way I feel the way things have affected me this that and the other but you know it is what it is if my mom listens to it I'm sorry that you have to hear this and I'm sorry that things are the way they are but that wasn't cool the way you talked to me and the way you treated me was so not fucking cool if anything it was probably the most fucking uncool thing you could have done to your fucking child you know like I want to fucking cry you know I've been in the hospital for four weeks and I've been bawling my eyes out crying myself to sleep because they don't tell me anything and all this other crazy shit has happened and finally you know I got to this hospital and and we'll talk about this in part two but finally my mom recognizes and sees my the situation of my health and how bad it is for what it is and now she wants to be there and be supportive and stuff and it's like yeah well, you didn't even fucking believe me in the beginning I was just, I'm just a fucking liar who makes this up for, you know, 
to play the victim and dramatize situations to try and manipulate what I can possibly gain from from this occurrence. Like, no, that's f fucked up, dude. It's fucked up, and I'm not fucking cool with it. I just am not, dude. So, um, that's gonna be... <laughs> what a way to end episode one. You know, I'm sorry for ranting. I'm sorry, Mom. I love you. Um... You know, I, I wish my mother didn't listen to this podcast and I'm sorry to all you, all of the listeners out there who had to wait this long for an episode to get some kind of idea of what happened, what, what, where the fuck I've been and what's been happening to me and this, that, and the other, um, you know, at, at the time I didn't even know if I, I thought I was just going to give up on this podcast, but unbeknownst. I was going through health issues I didn't even realize. And I was like, that's got to be my main priority because I feel like such shit. I felt like such shit. And I didn't know why. And I needed to rest. And um, I don't know, man. You know, like to all the people that have reached out and messaged me and have asked me if I'm okay and like um, want to know uh, what have you been going through and like, are you okay? I'm worried about you and this and that. Like, I love you guys. And I promise as soon as I'm able, I will send you a reply to your messages and your emails and anything else that I possibly can and, um, get back to you because, you know, I want to, and I love you and you guys are, are been more than good to me. And I don't blame you if you, uh, don't see a, a new episode out and just don't want don't want to fuck with me because you think I'm just relapsed or I'm a fucking back on the heroin or this or that or the other. Like, I don't blame you, you know, but, um, you know, now that I think of it, this is probably going to be a three part episode because it's such a long story. I mean, I've been stuck in here for four weeks, so Part two is going to be about me getting into the hospital and what happened, what happens to me and how I'm diagnosed. And, um, I have, I, you know, surprised to you, you may not know this, but I had a stroke while I was in the hospital and uh, went to the ICU for about seven to 10 days. And that was a fucking nightmare in itself. And I couldn't even talk. Like, walking and talking, I couldn't even do that. I, I woke up with a fucking feeding tube in my throat. And um, I pulled it out so many times, it just gave up. And they are like, all right, no I guess you don't need a feeding tube. And then I could finally learn to talk. And then I had to deal with a, a physical therapist and a speech therapist and an occupational therapist. And they literally helped teach me how to walk again, how to talk again, how to properly think cogni cognitively again. So if you know, you're listening to this podcast and I don't sound as articulate and outspoken as I usually do, I, I am like maybe two, three weeks recovering from a stroke. And, you know, when you have a stroke, it's like, you know, you know, the words in your head of what you want to say, but physically you cannot get them out of your mouth and say them, you know, it's the most frustrating, fucked up thing there is, you know, and, um, you know, I'll talk about, um, 
trying to get to a bathroom but not being allowed to go without a fucking nurse and them taking their sweet ass time and the, like three or four times that I and there's a couple times I shit the bed a couple times I shit my pants and liquid diarrhea shitted all over the ground and tried to clean it up by myself like I mean I laugh about it now but this was like some of the most torturous like brutal things that I'd gone through and I was so depressed I wanted to kill myself like like you don't realize how grateful you are in life how thankful you are to have just to be able to walk by yourself just to be able to talk by yourself and not need another person to help you just to be able to, to like you think you know you know life sucks and oh well I don't didn't get the class I wanted in school or I didn't get this or I didn't like and then you lose the ability the ability to walk and talk and you're like you don't know how good you have it until you lose basic things like walking and talking it's just fucking I don't know so, with that being said, uh, it's 12 o'clock, and I have literally like an hour or so before I get dragged into surgery and have a major surgery done on me, and we'll get into that in like the third episode or the second episode or whatnot. Um, I'm going to have a major, major, major surgery, and uh, I will be out of it, but hopefully next week... I will have another one of these episodes done for you. Um, the main thing is I love all of you out there. I want to get the story out to you so you know what I've been going through and what's been going on with me. Um, and that's it, man. You know, if you're out there, please, if you can, send me an email or message just showing me love and wishing me the best. Um, there's been times when I just... just straight up wanted to die, you know, being offered all these pain medicines and turning them down and going through the most excruciating pain anyway, because I don't want to get strung out on, on pain pills. You know, they offered me like everything. They offered me Dilaudid, morphine, fucking Norco, um, Percocet. And, and I had to turn it all down because I was like, you know what? And I'll get into more of this next week's episode talking about the negligence of the medical system but I'm ready to start a major major medical malpractice lawsuit against my gastro doctor and you know the hospital in general because the way people are treated here is just not fucking fair and it's not fucking cool you know it, it's not you know I've been living here for about a month and you know, like a week, almost two weeks in the ICU, and then a little bit, two and a half weeks in the main, the general floor. And, God, dude, it's just fucking rough, man. So with that, I, I got to do some quick edits on this and get this up for all you. I love, to, to, to squadron listening, the brethren, sestron, everyone, you know, I, I love you to no end. You know, words cannot express enough on a human level how much I love you, you know. Um, I'm getting emotional right now, but it's fucking, it's crazy. It's really scary what I'm going through. It's really fucking scary.
you know, um, and yeah, so yeah, with that, you guys, I love you, and as always, peace, love, and all the above. Can somebody check my pulse? It's been a minute since I tasted blood I forgot how good this was Oh, honey, it's a fucked up world Can't you see the fun in that? Somebody better hold me Yeah.